predictable weather. This fact is not meant to alarm. So let's get out of the rain and have a blether about Scotland and possible gambling harm. Hello and welcome to the latest Let's Hear a Wee Blether About Gambling in Scotland podcast brought to you by Fast Forward Scottish Gambling Education Hub. My name is Robert Quigley. In this episode, Claire's story, My Son's Addiction to Gaming and Loot Boxes, we look at the challenges faced by Claire around her adopted son's addiction to gaming and some of the gambling style mechanics such as loot boxes. Claire talks about how her son's interest in gaming quickly turned into an obsession, then into something which consumed his entire life, throughout his childhood and even into his late teens. She talks about the impact that this has had on both her son and also the wider family, and how difficult it has been to find the balance between giving her son his freedom as a young adult and ensuring that he is safe and aware of the risks arising from excessive gaming. In this episode, you will hear about the ups and downs, but also about how Claire and her family keep a positive perspective on her son's outlook as he moves into full-time employment. As you would expect, listener discretion is advised, as we will talk about some potentially triggering topics around the theme of gambling. If you are worried about your own gambling, or the gambling of someone close to you, there is support out there. The first step is to reach out. Signposting information can be found in the episode description. Make sure you step away or pause the podcast if you need time. Before you hear Claire's story, I chatted briefly to Donna Brunton, project officer with Fast Forward, to let her share the context around the work that she's done with Claire. Hi, Donna. Hi, Robert. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So, Donna, maybe you want to explain where you first started working with Claire and how Claire's story fits into the work that you do for Fast Forward. Thanks, Robert. So I'm very privileged to have been uh, one of the first trainers with the Scottish Gambling Education Hub since 2018. So I lead the children and family sector, delivering to family practitioners, parents and carers. And I was very fortunate to be invited to run an online session to foster carers. And during the training, there was a specific focus on the links between gambling disorder, uh, you you know, historically known as problem gambling, problem gambling uh, with uh, childhood trauma. So children who've been through some kind of traumatic event in early childhood. And there was a real uh, connection there for Claire around being an adoptive parent because um, she had obviously done lots of uh, recruitment processes, done lots of training, and she said, we've never had anything on gaming or gambling and specifically the links with trauma. So we then decided to uh, set up a little parent focus group to kind of uh, take the lead on how we could get the messaging out there. So we created a resource called Gambling and the Links to Childhood Trauma and disseminated it to places like um, social workers, uh, children's hearing systems, people that were involved in that early stage um, so that we could start getting that messaging out there. And that's that's how I uh, ended up with my uh, very privileged uh, relationship that I now have with Claire. Now, on to Claire's story. Hi, Claire. How are you? Hi, Robert. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for giving up your time. Not at all. And Donna, how are you? I'm very well, Robert. It's a lovely day down here in Edinburgh, which really helps, I think, at this time of year. It's fantastic to be doing this podcast. No, absolutely delighted to have you both. So, some of you 
listening to this podcast might have heard Claire speaking at the recent Scottish Gambling Education Conference, and what an incredibly powerful story that was. So we are extremely excited to have you here today, uh, continuing that conversation on our Fast Forward podcast. So I'm actually just going to pass the microphone over to you, Claire, to tell us your own story in your own words. Yes, thanks, uh, Robert. I Yes, I spoke at the recent gambling um, conference in Edinburgh, which was a real privilege, and I talked a little bit about my family's own stories with specific um, kind of reference to um, our son's challenges around his gaming habits and, you know, that linking in with um, gambling and, and those sorts of things. So our story is that we um, adopted our family and um, our son came to us when he was around five years old. And when he was about 11, when he was about to transition from primary to secondary school, we got him his first Xbox. And um, this kind of tied in really with a lot of other things that was going on for him at the same time. He found the change to high school quite challenging. And um, he was being quite severely bullied throughout his high school career, which we were kind of a little bit none the wiser about. Um, and there was various other things that had, you know to do with his adoption and really just generally how he was feeling about himself. And what gaming offered him was the perfect escape. So, you know, he can switch off from reality. He can turn on his game and sort of, just completely focus on it 100% and not have to, you know, be worried or anxious about all the things that were making him uncomfortable in his day-to-day -day life. Um, so it became very quickly something that he struggled to kind of set aside. Um, and this, you know, started to have quite a big impact on, on our family life. So that's really kind of continued all through his teens. He's now... Um, nearly 19 and um, we still kind of continue to, to struggle with his volume of gaming that he does. I mean, I think we're quite lucky he does have a job now that he's left school. He's, you know, kind of earning a little bit of money and he's out and about, he's meeting people and he's kind of getting fresh air and exercise. Um, but the fundamental issue of, you know, his, his gaming is still underlying everything else. And, um, yeah, we're still kind of finding it quite, I think frustration is the key word here. Um, you know, he tends to get kind of stuck developmentally. He'll um, reach a point where he just kind of does some things like um, gets a job, but doesn't really kind of move on from that in terms of any other responsibility. So, you know, he's kind of coming home at night, getting a shower and then the, and just disappearing into his bedroom. And that's the last we see of him. Um, and the main kind of issue we have at the moment is his lack of sleep. So he has quite a physical job. He's got to work with machinery, um, but he doesn't get nearly enough sleep uh, because he, he's gaming so much. Um, I mean, there's a, you know, a thousand other kind of issues around, around this. Um, and I suppose the sort of pertinent one for this is the gambling side of it, which... I have to be honest and say we've tried to, or not tried, but we have kind of not really um, dealt with too much with him. I think that that's probably one aspect of of his, you know, kind of issues. But he's, as far as we're aware, he's not in debt. He's not, um, you know, kind of having, you know, money problems or anything. But a lot of his his salary. You know, I think all of his kind of uh, disposable income certainly goes on gaming at some level, um, whether it be, you know, buying equipment or, you know, actually gaming uh, in it or gambling rather in game. Um, and we have had issues in the past where he's kind of taken money from people and that sort of thing. So um, although I don't think the gambling part is is um you know, the biggest problem that we have with this um, overall it certainly has a detrimental effect on, on his sort of day-to-day -day development and life and, you know, his ability to kind of, you know, get out there and do other things. So in terms of, if we can go back 
to the sort of early days of gaming. How long would you say he's been actively gaming for? When did you first realize that, you know, gaming was something that was really important to him? Well, we, as I say, got him his first Xbox when he was 11. And we were warned at the time, specifically around allowing him to play Fortnite. And I think we were kind of naive at that point in terms of why the person was warning us. I thought they were meaning it's too much of an adult game for him, you know, in in terms of, you know, going down the route of, say, Call of Duty or all these other quite, you know, more adult focus games. What we didn't understand was they were really saying to us, this is an extremely addictive game and it's been designed and set up to be as addictive as possible. So each game is 20 minutes long. It's the kind of ideal length of time for, you know, you to kind of enjoy a game, get hooked into it. And then but it's short enough that when it finishes, you think, oh, I'll just do one more. I'll just do one more. I'll just do one more. And by the time and then all of a sudden it's, you know, four in the morning and you've been doing just one more for a significant length of time. So as I say, he was 11 when we first got him his Xbox. And I think it became very quickly apparent that he was, you know, very obsessed with it. You know, we kind of, I think within a matter of days of him getting it, my husband took it out of his bedroom because he realised, you know what, he's, you know, on this all night. We've got no no kind of control over him switching it off and keeping it off if it's in his bedroom. Um, So it was put into the living room um, and then, you know, he had a lot of frustration around the fact that he was obviously being curtailed with the amount of hours he was allowed on it because it was, you know, when other people didn't need the television sort of thing. Um, So it's been a constant kind of battle, if I'm honest, between him wanting it in his bedroom as trying it, as, you know, kind of saying to him, right, let's, you know, give you this opportunity to prove to us that you can do this. And then him completely failing at that, basically, and us having to sort of reset the boundary again. And, you know, so really since he was 11 years old, and I, I would say that, you know, that was probably late compared to you know other families and how how you know young they kind of um you know their kids get access to gaming consoles and things like that so and on an average night you know back then how long would mm-hmm. he be spending playing i mean really as much as he could um so if we let him be on it until midnight he'd be on it till midnight i mean that obviously you know we didn't really kind of let that happen but um he has no ability to turn it off. You know, he has, ve- he has very little ability to say, actually, I've had enough now. He doesn't get bored of it. He, that's an interesting thing that he I noted once. He said that he realised he was different from his friends because his friends would get bored of playing games and they would turn one game off and go on to another one or they would just switch the computer off and go off and do something else. And he's never been able to do that on his own volition at all. He does now only because he knows he has to in terms of he's got, you know, he's getting picked up for his work the next day at half past seven in the morning on some occasions. You know, usually by quarter to eight, he's out the door. So he's he knows he's got to be up and, you know, ready to go. And I think without that responsibility that he has, he wouldn't be going to sleep. You know, he just wouldn't be sleeping at all. You know, he on... On days where he knows he's not working the next day, he will be up most of the night. And in terms of the games that he's playing, obviously when he was 11, he started with Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Has he changed the types of games that he plays or does he still not, play? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, Fortnite's still his absolute obsession. There was one year just before he left high school where he said to us that he was going to quit Fortnite. And I think that actually made a difference in terms of how much time he was spending gaming um you know he has tried to move on to kind of other you know i suppose arguably more adult games you know he went through a minecraft phase um he has tried to sort of play call of duty that sort of thing but he did it i would say Fortnite is the thing he keeps going back to but i think that you know for me that kind of feeds into this idea of him really being stuck developmentally you know emotionally and you know maturity that sort of thing is he's still very young for his years and i think that you know Fortnite is you know something that's familiar to him as well it's 
probably a safe space for him. Um, he doesn't kind of feed into kind of any sort of, very, he doesn't like kind of very masculine sort of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, that kind of like uh, sort of violence and things like that, he's not interested in at all. Um, if anything, he's almost a little bit scared of it. So I think the fact that Fortnite tends to be for a sort of slightly younger um, age group, you know, sort of suits him quite well. I mean, we've found it very difficult to engage with him regarding his gaming. He, I think, made up his mind a long time ago that us kind of, you know, quote, getting on at him about his gaming meant that we didn't want him to game at all, which is not the case. I mean, you know, we were having this conversation with him just a matter of weeks ago where it was, you know, it seemed to be a revelation to him that we were saying, look, it's not that we don't want you to give it up altogether. He's always kind of seen us as the enemy that wants him to give up this pastime for good. So I think with that frame of mind, he's always made it very difficult for us to kind of get alongside him with his sort of gaming. And, you know, we've we've talked to people about trying to sort of um, not necessarily relate to him, but just to understand it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, he's he's always made it incredibly difficult to do that. Well, that's a, a nice, neat uh, segue into it. I was going to ask, over the years, obviously there have been a times where you've tried to tackle you know, some of the issues around gaming. And I, mean, I suppose two questions. One would be, what would you say is the biggest issue that you've experienced around his gaming? And I suppose the second question would be, can you think of any, you know, maybe even a couple of times where you have tried to tackle it in a particular way and how that's ended up, you know, perhaps backfiring or perhaps it's been successful. Yeah, I mean, we, I suppose I would say we feel like we've been on a bit of a hamster wheel with this. So, you know, one of the ways that we tried to tackle it was to physically remove the devices from him. So, you know, he would, and we would agree a certain amount of access. So, for example, we would say to him, well, you know, you can't have your console in your bedroom overnight. You've obviously got schoolwork to do, so you can get it after a certain time at night for a certain length of time. So from, say, seven o'clock for three hours, something something like that. And, you know, we had to kind of tweak that. So, you know, quite often we'd realise, well, 10 o'clock's too late because actually he needs time to wind down after gaming before he can go to sleep. Um, so then we would say, well, nine o'clock, and then he would get upset by that because nine o'clock's far too early for him, and you know, schoolwork just wasn't happening. You know, you would say, well, you know, from say he came in by four o'clock, that would be with dinner and whatever, you know, two or three hours to get homework done and that sort of thing. He he just wouldn't do it. He would just be distracted, even thinking about when he was getting his gaming and this sort of thing. And his whole demeanour around the house changed in terms of lots of kind of creeping about, lots of very quietly tiptoeing into rooms. You know, his his mind was just compl- constantly whirring. You could see the cogs going the whole time around. Am I going to get my gaming? Have I done everything that I need to do? Are, you know, what's their kind of going to be the reason to say no to me getting it? Because, you know, we had quite clear ground rules around, you know, you do your chores, you do your schoolwork, you do whatever, you know, your behaviour's got to be a certain way. And, yeah, so quite often it was the case that we would be saying no. So then he would, it it developed into this situation where we'd all be second-guessing each other, if that makes sense. (laughs) I think, you know, it's a hugely difficult thing to kind of live because you're waiting for him to come and ask, even though you know, fine, he's not, I don't know, for example, cleaned his room. And the frustration's building from our side because we're like, well, we can't believe you're asking when you know you haven't done all the things you're supposed to do. And then he's getting frustrated because he's thinking, well, I don't want to do any of those things, but, you know, I want my gaming. Because, you know, and the other thing as well is, of course, you're constantly battling against peer pressure. And I don't, you know, it's it's not necessarily direct peer pressure to him in terms of friends, you know, criticising him for not, you know, gaming enough or whatever. But it, I think it's his perception, you know, his thing of 
well, everybody else is getting to do this, so why can't I? So that's what you're kind of constantly battling as well. So, I mean, you know, there was times when it went dreadfully wrong. I mean, you know, and just the kind of, I suppose, the violence and the temper and the irrational behaviour, just the kind of no sort of reasoning with him, you know, that sort of side of it was very difficult, you know, when he was kind of in that that kind of mid-teen stage, 13, 14, 15, you know, and he was also getting physically bigger at that point as well. Um, But I think, you know, one of the kind of most, again, to go back to that word frustration, that, you know, the really frustrating part was the more adept he was getting at the games, the more it was kind of stretching that muscle of sort of problem solving and of um, the sort of challenge of your brain in terms of, you know, sort of getting around puzzles and things like that. Um, He was putting that into practice in real life to get around all or any of the, whether it be parental controls or, you know, outright just removing stuff from his room that we had in place. I remember one day I was painting our ensuite bathroom and I had our bedroom door open and I kind of caught something out of the corner of my eye and I kind of turned around and I thought, hmm, what was that? And I went and looked and there was nothing there. And the following day, because again then had a battle with him going to school he was totally out of sorts and I was at my work and my husband phoned me to say that he had found another xbox in his room so the inference being that he had somehow sneaked this into the house because we had we had had that happen with other devices smaller devices in the past so he would arrange for you know he would buy things on amazon have it dropped off at the local I think co-op to Amazon collection service so you can have your deliveries dropped to the co-op you would pick them up on the way home from school and sneak them into the house so things like mobile phones or um, I think there was a Nintendo Switch one time, you know, so sort of smaller devices but that would allow him to game so the presumption was that this is another Xbox he'd managed to get from somewhere but it turned out it wasn't it was actually the Xbox that we had in our bedroom he'd tiptoed past me when I was in up to my eyes with emulsion and whatever else decorating our bathroom um in order to kind of grab the bag with the the xbox in it and take it out and was then of course up all night on it i think that's a really um interesting insight into just that sheer determination to game at all costs um yeah, I think even just making that connection between, you know, people talk about gaming and sometimes with a negative slant. And I think it's quite refreshing that you've picked up on the fact that there are skills that clearly he will have picked up, which can be transferred to the inverted commas real world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that problem solving ability and that ability to think beyond, if you like, or think outside the box um, is really fascinating. And I'm sure many people listening to this podcast will be able to relate to that. Can I ask a question about how things changed when he left school and got a job? Because I think that's what makes the story, you know, quite unique is that, you know, as a young person leaves school and and starts to earn money, the normal trend is that, you know, perhaps they'll reduce their gaming because, you know, of work and because of their social life. What kind of changes did you see when he you know, left school and got his first job, apart from obviously having this disposable income that he could actually then use to help him with his gaming. Getting a job was always a bit of a double-edged sword because, you know, our other children had jobs, you know, quite early on, really, in high school. I personally had a job for me, you know, 14 15 um, my husband was the same so you know we kind of recognized the sort of benefits of having a job in high school and and you know readying you for the real world as it were um but there was always a concern with our son that as soon as he started earning money it would all go on gaming and that was pretty much what happened so he was a bit older when he finally did get a saturday job i would I suppose you would say. And, you know, it did ramp up in terms of his ability to, you know, well, purchase gaming devices, really. I mean, he, he's, he was kind of young in his year group. So I think, you know, really for 
a good six months after he left school, we were still kind of at a point where he wasn't really quite an adult yet. So we were able to kind of still enforce control over whether he had devices in his room overnight. But it just became impossible to manage because he he, he would just buy something new. And, that, you know, he would he would say he's sort of the type that will go along with something for so long and then he'll get annoyed by something will happen. So he'll just maybe, you know, we're giving him his Xbox each night because he's asking for it. So we'll give it to him and then just make sure that he gives it back to us before we go to bed. And then I think there was once where he just stopped asking for it. So we just weren't really offering it to him either. And this went on for some weeks. And then we got a little bit suspicious and it transpired that, you know, he'd got annoyed at us for not offering it to him even though he hadn't been asking for it. So this again fed into his thinking of, well, they just don't want me to ever game again. So then that starts his problem-solving brain working. So he he bought another device and and, um, brought it into the house and then was, was using it. And because, of course, he's then not using it until he knows we can't discover it, it's after we've gone to sleep. So then it's, again, feeding that situation where he's up all night. And when I say all night, I, I do literally mean all night without any sleep. There's no kind of, oh, it was just till three in the morning. It's my husband's coming in at half past six, quarter to seven in the morning from night shift and he's hearing him switching stuff off. Then, you know, he's it's it's really difficult because I think we're lucky that he does have a job, as I say, and you know, he's he's now moved on to a sort of second job from school where he's has a bit more responsibility. He's, you know, as I say, out and about, fresh air and exercise and all these things. And he knows that if he doesn't have that job, you know, I think he himself recognises that without having a job, he would really struggle because, you know, he he would fill his time with gaming. And then the more he does that, the less chance he has of getting another job. So, you know, I think there is a level of kind of fear almost there from his side that he knows that, you know, he can't, he cannot go down that route. This might be a good time to bring in uh, Donna uh, in terms of ever increasing connections and links between gaming and uh, gambling harms. Donna, is there anything you'd like to sort of tease out with, with Claire around that connection between gambling and gaming? Thanks, Robert. Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate to have had lots of um, in-person and online uh, conversations with Claire and I really respect her openness around her experiences as a family because being a, a family worker focusing on gambling harm, it is a very much that kind of small steps, those early indicators. And Claire, I remember one of the most recent interactions we had, you talked about your son being exposed to an iPad at quite a young age as a way almost to pacify, give him comfort, because one of the things we've identified is being adopted and exploring the links between childhood trauma and gambling um, and how that iPad became a way of being able to travel to see his birth parents on rural long journeys um, and giving him that positive experience was something you identified as kind of that kind of start of that process of how he saw the in digital engagement? Yeah, I mean, I think he, yeah, I mean, he definitely, I think, found that escape route through gaming on a handheld device in the back of a car when he was going into a situation which could be hugely stressful. Um, and I don't think we appreciated just how much exposure he'd had to that Um in those high stress situations. And again, that's not to say that we didn't give him devices as well. I think we kept it to a minimum. And he had a, I think it was called a leapfrog. It was like mm-hmm. a sort of little handheld, very sort of child orientated mm-hmm. gaming device. Um, when, you know, when we kind of, yeah, not long after he came to stay with us. But again, from memory, we didn't sort of allow him to have that just, you know, kind of willy nilly. It was in quite controlled situations and again it wasn't necessarily in high stress situations it was um you know maybe on a car journey just 
home holiday or something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, so it kind of just gives an example of normalizing of these kinds of pastimes because mm-hmm. we know that quite often that will lead to other types of use of devices and and the links to types of gambling as as you go into adulthood. Because one of the things, a couple of things, Claire. I think it would be worthwhile for our audience also to be aware of is during COVID when those Chromebooks would be given out by the school mm-hmm. and you were in a real dilemma because you didn't want your child to be different and singled out, but you needed to yep. say to the school, my son can't have a Chromebook, which really highlights we do online safety and we do all this kind of work around keeping safe online, but we sometimes just don't think about that extreme side of what the implications might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe from the school that there was one other family that had asked them to um, keep their child's Chromebook at school um, at home time. And, you know, again, with our our son, we kind of dabbled a little bit with various sort of connotations of that. You know, there was obviously initially had it home 24-7 and then we quickly realised we had to kind of hold it in our room overnight. But then it became to the point where we had to say to the school, you know, he, he can't really take it home. You know, it's it, this is something that we're ha- it's causing too much anxiety and stress in our family life to manage. And it's something that you're imposing on us. So basically, you need to manage this, you know, and we're giving you the kind of information around the effect it's having on him at home. Before we move on, maybe to a little bit about that kind of lack of awareness, maybe around um, the implications that gaming can have and, and those links to gambling. I would just like to highlight that, Claire, with your son, it, around for people who don't know that within games, you have loot boxes um, where you can pay real money or you get virtual currency using real money to try and get an item like a skin, like a costume for your character or a sword or a weapon, or it can help you with time advantage, help you avoid losing in the game. And that's what we call those gambling style mechanics within within video games that are designed just like gambling products uh, with fireworks, bright lights, um, free play in order to entice you to have that experience. And there was a stage where um, he really was trying to, uh, you know, become quite focused, wasn't he? Addicted to those loot boxes within his gaming, wasn't he? And trying to get the best skins. You know, you heard you, you were saying to me, you heard him talking to somebody when he started his, his new job about how much he was spending on skins for his character. So you don't need hard cash. You can find other ways to um, mm-hmm. be able to purchase these loot boxes. And, and they are um, they are banned in countries like Croatia and Belgium, but the UK government mm-hmm. chose not to make any changes to legislation under gambling laws uh, in the recent white paper of the Gambling Act. So um, Yeah, and I have to say that it wasn't until the discussion that we had with you that we even knew anything about loot boxes and the fact that they were in the games to the extent that they are again the realization that you know going back to my point about the the saturday job and things like that you know that really it'd been going on years prior to that because you can pick up you know xbox vouchers and that sort of thing in the local co-op and or you can buy them online you know you don't need to have like you say hard cash to to access these things and i think that this is the let when you start to realize that sort of thing that's when you really feel as a parent that you're on a real losing battle. Um, I think like FIFA football is another example where um, player packs would be seen as like a loot box because you're trying to get a better player, but you don't know who you're going to get through these player packs. And what's really scary, I think, is would you agree there's a lack of awareness around suitability of games for like different age groups? Like People might not let their kid watch a DVD, a film, eighteen film if they're only twelve, but with Peggy ratings that gives you know a suggested age appropriateness. FIFA football, the latest one, is age appropriate three years. So when we think around the exposure to player packs, for example, in football. And the links with gambling and football, we all know, are so interlinked. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's as I say before, we started speaking to yourself you know through the the forum you kind of think about games like call of duty or grand theft also or these ones that really get a lot of coverage in terms of you know perhaps their adult content and that isn't actually at all i mean yes there there is a level of that that you need to be aware of but like you say you could be 
you know, exposing your youngster to the the minimum level of of Peggy rating, and actually there's quite overt gambling within it. And I think that that's where a lot of parents don't realise at all, or don't necessarily understand the you know the potential implications. Now, I mean, yeah. obviously our son was predisposed, you know, to kind of having that addictive personality, and you know, this is what he's kind of latched onto. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of parents are probably completely oblivious to to these things within games that are aimed at really quite young children in some instances, you know. Yeah, I think Roblox, I would say, is probably the one that most pe- most parents are aware of at the moment. And again, where you can um, in-game purchasing and thinking around, uh, you were saying that you've not noticed anything specifically financially, but for a lot of parents as well, they might just not be thinking about the consequences of how a little bit of money can really impact um you know like 10 15 20 pound could be the difference between being able to have a takeaway on a friday night or whatever um and how and how it gets to a stage where it can really really start to cause lots of tensions can i just ask claire is there anything that you think is maybe like looking back that's maybe an early indicator of where um your son's gaming did start to impact on him and the family that you would like to share and think about how that might have been dealt with differently that could have changed that journey, including your interaction with the schools around those Chromebooks during COVID? Yes, I would say that, you know, we've discussed a little bit about the early indicators from prior to him coming to to our family. Um, And, you know, things that obviously we had no control over. I would say that when he was very young, you know, he was, as I say, about five or six, um, he was playing on a Nintendo Wii that we had that we didn't really let him have any kind of access to. It wasn't something that was set up in the house very often. But there was one day he was playing and he, he wet himself because he was obviously so obsessed with the game he was playing. You know, the, the kind of realisation that he needed to go to the toilet was just not, anywhere near the forefront of his mind. And I remember talking to other parents at the time and them sort of indicating that that was kind of almost normal for um, someone of his age and, you know, excitement and that sort of thing. But I would say that, you know, really that probably was an early indicator as to just how obsessed he was if, you know, when he was playing games. You know, and it's very easy to say, well, you know, looking back, we would never have bought him the Xbox when he was 11. But I think that the real challenge is that that probably wouldn't have made much of a difference. You know, he would have eventually got a gaming console and he would have had access to gaming consoles prior to having his own one through his friends. So, I, you know, I'm just not sure that that would have really made much of a difference. You know, I think for him, it's all been about what he's been trying to avoid. You know, his real life experiences that he's trying to kind of disappear from. And I think that without those things happening, perhaps, you know, he wouldn't be nearly as obsessed as he is. You know, I'd like to hope that that would have been the case. But, you know, that's not something we're able to turn the clock back on, unfortunately. So, you know, I think it's easy to kind of beat yourself up and sort of say, you know, well, we shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, if we'd known that this was going to happen, we wouldn't have introduced this and whatever else but I think that it probably would have ended up where we are today no matter what really so you know it's it's a it's a challenge thanks for that Claire um and thanks for being so honest as well I guess the final couple of questions just thinking more about the connections between um gambling harm and gaming if you were a parent listening to this podcast and you were unsure about you know how involved your your own child might be in something like loot boxes or some of the other aspects of gaming what advice would you give them as to where they could go for help or what would be a good first step um just to find out more because clearly as you've explained throughout the whole of this podcast there are lots of different groups of people who don't perhaps feel as comfortable um, or perhaps not as knowledgeable when it comes to to gaming. So what would be that advice that you would give to someone listening to this thinking, this kind of resonates with me, 
and need some help. I, if I had to give myself advice, if I was doing a, all this as a do-over, if that makes sense, I think I would try and avoid making it a battle because, you know, to my point earlier that our son really has kind of distanced himself from us and made sure that we really have nothing to do with his gaming life. I think that that's caused a barrier that means that it's very difficult for us to actually understand how much of an issue gambling is within his gaming. Obviously, his need to game is the overall kind of frustration for us. But I think that if you can keep a dialogue going, if you can show interest in their gaming, if you can get involved, then you are probably much more likely to be able to get a sense of just how much impact loot boxes and you know in-game gambling may or may not be having um and i think that you know it's trying to kind of keep that open-mindedness there keep yourself sort of um available to them you know if if they're kind of struggling with things within their gaming that you know they will come and speak to you so i think that's you know really important to try and and kind of open dialogue no matter how kind of stressed or, or frustrated you're getting about the situation. And it is hugely difficult. I mean, it's, you know, we've, as I say, just gone down the route of trying to kind of control it from our side um, because, we, you know, really we had to. He wasn't, um, as I say, able to manage it himself. But that, as I say, that has led to us really having no knowledge of that world and, you know, how deep you may or may not be in with gambling and gaming you know we've got no sense of what his financial situation is you know he just will you know he he immediately clams up and gets very defensive and you know i think that's probably adding to our current concerns he's certainly not saying he's you know up to his neck and debt or anything but that's not to say that that isn't the case (laughs) um so i think you know if i was to give anybody advice just in terms of how you're day-to-day handling it, it would be to try and, as I say, keep that kind of open dialogue with them. In terms of where to seek advice, uh, well, Fast Forward has obviously been hugely helpful just in terms of, you know, that kind of gambling side of things. So I'm going to pass you over to Donna now um, to just to share some thoughts around some of the things that Donna has found when she's been delivering uh, training around gaming and gambling across, across Scotland. Thanks, Robert. Um, I'm not really a statistic person, but I do think stats have their place. And I suppose that one of the things, first things to say is that the Gambling Commission Young People Report just out in November has highlighted that when children and young people are gambling, they're with their parents um, and one in 10 see their parents gamble. So there's a real strong message around gaming and gambling, around being aware of your own messaging, role modeling, influencing. We're not villainizing parents or carers for gaming or gambling. But just like if you would, if you were talking about smoking tobacco or vapes, of getting a lot of um, cover at the moment, be aware of um, the time you spend, how much money you're spending, and being aware of, you know, that uh, early indicators by your own role modeling around your children around you Um, and being aware of um, as Claire said really great advice is having that respect of when's the right time for you to finish this game for the night rather than saying right I want you off that in the next 10 minutes because there might be a part of the game where they're you know don't want to just suddenly come off because there might be a real disadvantage. So something around that mutual respect of understanding uh, what's going to work for them as well in order to avoid confrontation. It is important to be aware of um, the RCA Trust based in Paisley who are there to support anyone who's concerned about their young person's gambling. They're more than happy to take a call and we will be uh, you know, referring to those support services. But as a gradual kind of um, early indicator, it really is about respect what the PEGI rating says as well. If you're buying a hard copy of a game, we now have a case where most of those games will have if they have loot boxes in them. So you could choose not to purchase maybe a game that's got loot boxes or if they do have them because you're downloading them from the, you know, the internet, have a conversation around what you're agreeing to allow them to spend, just like you would if they wanted to go and buy a 
pair of new football boots or whatever and encourage it's a life it's a life learning you know that's the budget and we're sticking to it and there's no there's no debate around that so that parents can have that easier balance between uh, taking responsibility um, and not having the the impact it could have financially uh, and setting those times off when you know one hour two hours whatever it might be um, in order in order to try and minimize the harms that's great thank you donna um, invaluable advice as always so as we draw this particular part of the podcast to a conclusion, it's always really important to give the final word to um, to Claire. So Claire, I'm just going to basically pass over to you for your final thoughts or comments on your story, your journey and your experience. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I think what I would say is that, you know, in all of the sort of goings on and the, you know, sort of messiness of everyday family life and you know an adopted family at that which you know there was a lot going on two full-time jobs and whatever else school and homework and it, it's easy to think that ga- uh, gaming is just a simple thing in the mix it's just another hobby it's just something that you know your kids will just sort of take part in and, and that's fine and for the farm va- or sorry for the vast majority that will be the case but I think I would just, you know, kind of say to people that just take a moment and think, you know, are there loot boxes on this game? How much time are they spending? Is having the console in their room overnight a good idea? Do I really know what they're doing? It is something that you can go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with. But I think that, you know, to go down the route of just trying to have that honest and open dialogue with them is probably a good starting point. Um, you know be a little bit involved with them, play the games if you can, and just kind of understand what it is that your child is doing on these devices. Um, And, you know, really kind of get your head around how much time they're spending on it. And if it's starting to be that it's a bit of an issue, then, you know, seek help quite quickly because, you know, it can really go off the rails pretty, pretty soon, I think. In the final part of this episode, Donna and I are joined by Mark Hunter, Project Officer with Fast Forward, to discuss how to plan for, and then have, difficult conversations with a young person. Hi Mark, how are you? Very well, Robert, how are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for, for joining us. And hi Donna again. Hi Robert, lovely to be here again. Thank you. Oh, great to have you. And this next section is a really interesting part, and it's building on the first part of the podcast where we spoke to Claire, and we heard about Claire's story. And this particular one is looking to try to, I suppose, provide a bit more support to anyone listening to the podcast. Now, we know that there's lots of information out in the public around things like alcohol and vaping, but there isn't so much around the aspect of gambling uh, and particularly with the connection with gaming. So delighted that we've got Mark here, who's going to offer some thoughts and suggestions around his speciality, which is having these tough conversations. So Mark, I don't know if you can maybe start off just by telling us or sharing some of the, the ways that you would encourage parents or educators to go about having tough conversations, but particularly thinking around that uh, gaming and gambling connection. Yeah, it's it's in any sort of, of these conversations can be challenging for the parent and for the for the young person. And I think first of all, you've got to uh, just chip away at these things over time. Um, I think um, the earlier you start having these discussions with your your children, the better. Prevention is always better than than cure. When it, when it comes to sort of the, the influence that you can have as a parent. Um, so waiting for, to have the big um, lecture, you know, give the big talk when, when they come of age or whatever, we know that that doesn't work. You know, it, it's too late by then and 
too much pressure has built up, you know, uh, it becomes too big of a thing and the parent feels awkward and the, and the child feels bored normally. Or, or So, yeah, it, it, it's, it really is uh, much better to, to start having these open conversations about um, things uh, when they're young, an age-appropriate level, um, and so that they know that they can ask questions. Um, you might not have all the answers, um, but, you know, they, they can... They can they know that if they've got a question, they can come to you and feel safe that that you know you're not going to get angry, you're you're not going to presume that they're they're up to no good. You know, like they're if they're curious about something, doesn't mean that they're doing it. Um. So yeah, we always have encouraged people to to start that open, uh, chain of communication from from as early as, as you can, and that, and that's what most pe- parents do. So you know we're we're not really asking anyone to do anything that that won't, shouldn't come naturally, um, but it's, it's just to sort of um, you know like the, the the longer you leave it, the more awkward it will become, and maybe if if it's something that you've got concerns about, um, then then you know then that's when you really need to be thinking more maybe strategically about about. Um, what conversations you're having and, and how you're going to frame it. Um, so, Mark, what would you say are the main barriers that parents find when it comes to having these tough conversations about any particular topic? What are the aspects of having a tough conversation that makes them tough? Quite often it will be embarrassment. Um, so it might be something that, um, that the parent themselves finds difficult to talk about. Um, then that could be because of their own personal hang-ups or, you know, uh, because the, the, maybe the, the way that they had the or didn't have the conversation with their parents, um, with their own parents when they were a child. There's a bit of a hangover from that. Um, I, I think that that's um, maybe sometimes, and especially when it comes to um, some of the issues that are affecting young people today, and these are issues that didn't exist for, for the previous generation. If it's about vaping, for example, it's kind of like crept up on all of us, um, and you know, there's we're getting um, a lot of parents coming to the to the, the sessions that we're running on how to talk to your kids about vaping, um, and gaming and gambling, internet gambling is very much in that category because you know the whole um, internet didn't exist when I was a child; it, it wasn't a thing. Um, you had to go to the bookies if you were going to bet, and all that sort of stuff. So. If, if you don't know about it, if it's not part of your life um, because you didn't grow up experiencing it, um, so I think some, some parents maybe feel that they're um, inadequately kind of equipped to, 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 to talk to their children about it. So, you know, we do advise, do a little bit of homework. Um, try, if, if you are, and especially if you are concerned about it being a, 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 a harmful behaviour that, that um, your child might be vulnerable to. I think you, you need to do a bit of swatting up. You do a little bit of research. Doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. And I think you know maybe sometimes that could be another thing that would put parents off is thinking that they have to be an expert um, in, in the thing that they're going to talk to their child about. But you can ask them questions because chances are they they might know an awful lot more about it than you. So that, that that's you know bring them into the discussion listen to them and what they know about it um, and you know or you can find out about the, the, the topic together um, you use use reliable sources and and that can be difficult and challenging in, in the internet age um, so yeah um, pick your sources carefully pick a variety of sources and, and do some research together that's really good advice and I think um, Donna I don't know if you want to come in around the idea that you don't have to be an expert to necessarily have a conversation and I think when we spoke to Claire we talked about the fact that you know some parents perhaps don't feel confident because they don't actually know the topic which was obviously in that particular discussion was um, the connection between gambling and gaming so how do you as a parent if you don't feel comfortable with the topic how do you have that conversation like Mark was saying I think I think one of the um from my experience of delivering training one of the challenges is if the child's a looked after child like in Claire's situation where the patterns of behavior have been established 
that they've maybe not got set times or set amount of money they can spend on these kinds of activities and therefore you're trying to re-educate or or basically um if they're using it as a way to cope because of why they are looked after that is what adds another layer to the challenge i think because you're you've got your within your own home you've maybe had that early conversation uh, talking about internet safety talking about who you're coming into contact with online bringing gaming and gambling into that as an extra area to the chat um and as mark said they're the ones with the knowledge and the expertise. Let them educate you and have that joint agreement, I think, and avoid where possible um, to get into real conflict. So it's important to be aware of how comforting perhaps an escapism they're getting from these kinds of activities and looking at other things that they might do away from their console that can give them those things, you know, help meet their needs but are maybe more positive pastimes, better for their physical health because they're being active, their mental health, um, because they're not spending so much time in isolation away from other family members. Thanks, Donna. Um, Mark, coming back to you, I know that you've talked about these sessions that you run for parents. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what these sessions are and I suppose the impact that you feel that they've made? Yeah, um, I've been doing a, a project for Fast Forward for the past six years called Ask Dad. And Ask Dad is about engaging parents and carers in these conversations about um, how to help your, your children and young people avoid harm from risk-taking behaviour. Um, it, it's got a dad focus to try and sort of make it more inclusive, really, um, because, you know, a lot of the, the, the services that are maybe on offer for parents are accessed mostly by mums. So just by having a kind of dad-friendly um, kind of uh, project, we, we hope to, to make it um, remove some of those barriers that might prevent uh, dads and male carers from getting involved. Um, and um, it, it's really been about sort of sharing the work that Fast Forward do with um, children and young people across Scotland on, on uh, you know, in schools and colleges and, and youth clubs and, and sharing that with parents and helping them to sort of keep the conversations going at home that maybe we start um, with the young people um, through, through other projects that we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the parents um, also get the opportunity to, to meet other parents that are going through the same thing. And, and I think that's a great source of comfort and reassurance um, to, to parents because they, they, they see that they're not the only ones who don't know what to do in certain situations. No, nobody sort of prepares you for this sort of stuff, really. You know, these are all the, it's quite often the, the, the unforeseen uh, challenges that, that come with being a parent. Can you think of any uh, particular examples of, you know, where it's really made a big difference? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to sort of run quite a few regular Ask Dad groups. So, you know, you get to know people over, over a longer period of time. We also do sort of one-off events as well, um, um, which is you know, more just like sort of information and awareness raising events. But in, in the groups where you get to know people over that longer period um, you can see them really sort of relaxing into the the role of a parent and just becoming I think it takes a lot of the stress out of some of these difficult situations for them and it gives them the opportunity to um, yeah just just talk things through with other parents um, and I think what a lot of parents and a lot of male dads and male carers, quite like the opportunity to do is is to share their learning you know so so if they've been through something with their children um, and young people themselves I think they're quite keen to kind of um, let them know what's worked for them and 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 share that for, for the benefit of others who are maybe haven't gone through it yet or, or who, who've got the potential to avoid it um a couple of questions maybe for both of you to come in with um, I think it's quite well established and quite well accepted that gamers often 
are more likely to become gamblers and vice versa. Any thoughts or, or comments around why that might be? Maybe start with you first, Mark. Yeah, well, I'm neither a gamer nor a gambler. So, um, the, the, you know, the, and I've, ne- I've never been a gamer. I've never been interested in it. So, it, it, but when it, I, I, as a youth worker for the past 20 years, I've worked with a lot of young people who have been extremely um, uh, in, involved in, in gaming to, you know, obsessive levels. And, um, it, it, yeah, I, I, when, you, when you, they're developing these quite unhealthy patterns of behaviour, with you know um, struggling to to manage their their boundaries, manage their screen time, um, balance it against other sort of parts of their life when it's become when it's taken over um, large parts parts of their life. I think it's uh, it, it, it's it's building in vulnerability um, to to those young people. Um, they're, they're maybe already finding it hard to um, regulate their 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 moods or or their behaviour, um, especially when it comes to kind of uh, the amount of time that they spend gaming. Um, and I and I think um, you know like their parents might already be starting to think that they're they're losing influence, they're losing control over that behaviour. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it, it opens them up massively to to to, to harm from gambling because. So much um, uh, pop-up adverts. There's so much kind of similarity between, um, you know, the, the 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 mechanisms in in, in gaming and in gambling. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's 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 very much a um, exploiting vulnerability and currently like, it's a, it's it's creating vulnerability and and also opening kind of pathways into into gambling that um, they wouldn't have experienced if they, if they were less involved in gaming. And it's obviously not to say that gaming's bad and that, you know, gaming can't be done safely and responsibly. Obviously not saying, saying that. And, you know, like Donna was saying earlier, parents have said how um, for, for their children, gaming has been a bit of a lifesaver, especially maybe with children children and young people who have neurodiversity, you, know, you know, that that it's a world that they can feel in control and, and safe and, and they can manage. Um but yeah, obviously um if it's if it's completely dysregulated, if it's if it, if there's no boundaries around screen time and game time and, and everything else, then it's obviously increasing their their uh, likelihood of, of harm from, from that behaviour. And, you know, into gaming would be my observation. Yeah, no, thank you. And Donna? Obviously, it's quite a a broad uh, topic, but I would say from my experience and how things have changed over the last 18 months as well, I'll just bring that into into the, uh, the podcast, Robert, is that thinking around gaming giving that sense of accomplishment, you know, uh, social connection, especially when we had the pandemic, as Mark says, for people who are experiencing um, some disability in some way, it's very inclusive. Uh, people understand the 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 auto cues, the social the social world, which can be overwhelming for a lot of people, um, and it's it's that fear of missing out, which I don't think we can underestimate because our friends are doing it; um, they want to be doing it as well. Um, but also thinking around. Um, exposure of gambling from their parents where we've got an increase of um, uh, women in particular gambling because of the cost of living crisis and uh, 2 million kids being exposed to harms of gambling uh, from the latest gambling commission report because as Mark says the messaging around advertising is that gambling can help you know, solve all your problems, give you all that money, you know, to help you achieve what you need to achieve in life um, and therefore maybe becoming something that kids are being exposed to and the messaging that they're getting from that. So things like social casinos that appear on kids if they've got a smartphone where they, it mimics a real casino, they're not paying any real money, they're not getting any money from it. But from having that buzz, that that chemical, dopamine chemical reaction, helped me feel good about myself, helped me have time out from life stresses, 
we know there's links within going on and playing real casino games for real money after having those social casino experiences. So thinking about the kind of subtle links with gambling within gaming through microtransaction and loot boxes and therefore leading to kids perhaps being more, um, you know, tending to then go to um, arcades, arcade gaming being one of the most common, private betting being one of the most common, to then go on into some of the most harmful like slot machines, um, sports betting as they go into adulthood. So there are clear connections around those subtle experiences in, in video games in early years to then going on and trying other types of gambling as they get older because the brain remembers those positive experiences. So thanks so much for this, Mark and Donna. I guess, Mark, my, my final question to you would be if you were to give one, I suppose, summing up piece of advice on how to tackle a tough conversation, what would that be? I think picking the right moment it can be hard the, the the right moment can be um you know the perfect moment probably doesn't exist so you know but but choosing um a moment where everyone's calm um probably you know in the, mid, the middle of an argument is not the 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 time to start a, a discussion about someone's uh, behavior that you're concerned about so a, a moment when, when everyone's calm maybe slightly distracted Slight side to side conversations work really well. So you know, if if you're walking somewhere together, um, if you're driving somewhere together, it's less confrontational to 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 have that sort of conversation happen when you're not in face to face eye contact, which is a bit can become a bit more adversarial or uh, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's less uh, intimidating and, and easier to to maybe have these conversations when. Um, you're slightly distracted by walking somewhere or doing a, doing a task, you know, whether it's doing a jigsaw or something. I don't know, something where half your brain is concentrating on something uh, else, and and the other half can can think um, more sort of calmly and, and clearly about things. Um, th- those are you know things that we can try and engineer into our daily routine. Um, you know, the walk to school. Um, you know the the meal times that, that can be another opportunity if, if you're if you're sitting around the table together um just to check in with each other and maybe just ask how people are doing um th- these are all sort of helpful little practical things that, that um, tend to work well for those um, potentially difficult conversations 